70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Tôi tên là Hằng, một thính giả thường xuyên theo dõi và ủng hộ kênh tiếng Việt Đài Phát thanh và Truyền hình Hàn Quốc KBS World Radio. Hello, I'm a long-time listener of KBS World Radio's Vietnamese service. I've been studying Korean and I'm always interested in learning about Korea, and I found about the channel in 2015. Thanks to KBS World Radio, I can stay updated on news from Korea. For a Korean language student, Drama Lines is a great teacher of expressions that are not in textbooks. I especially enjoy books on demand where I can learn about various literary works. It is also wonderful how KBS World Radio is setting up YouTube channels in different languages, including Vietnamese, for better access to its content. My heartfelt congratulations to KBS World Radio on its 70th anniversary. I hope you continue to serve as a bridge between Korea and the listeners from around the world. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Thursday, the 12th of October, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Won Jang Won. Main opposition Democratic Party candidate Jin Gyo-hun has won the by-election for Chief of Seoul's Gangsa District by a landslide margin of over 17 percentage points. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. And then for our in-depth, we'll look closer at the results and what this means for the rival parties ahead of next year's general elections. And then coming up for Explore Korea, we'll be learning about the upcoming 2023 Hanbok Culture Week, celebrating the traditional Korean attire. We'll have all that and more on today's Korea 24. What you're hearing is last night's fanfare as main opposition Democratic Party's Jin Gyo-hun was declared victor of the by-election for chief of Seoul's Gangsa district. It was an overwhelming win with a margin of victory of over 17 percentage points. Our KBS World Radio News Editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to bring us the results and the fallout from the hotly contested race, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Jang. So both the opposition and the ruling People Power Party pulled out all the stops in this ward leader election, widely regarded as a bellwether of the upcoming general elections in April. Mm-hmm. 
So first, can you break down the votes? Well, DP's Jin took 56.52% of votes cast, more than, as you said, 17 percentage points ahead of his rival PPP's Kim Tae-woo, with less than a quarter of a million votes cast. Uh, during the campaign, the ruling PPP said that its candidate Kim Tae-woo has a direct hotline to President Yoon Song-yeol, but that was not enough to stave off a crushing defeat for the Conservative standard-bearer. In fact, the odds were not in PPP's uh, favour as the ruling party candidate was the reason why the by-election had to be held. Kim was removed from his post as district chief of Kangsa in May upon receiving a suspended prison sentence for leaking classified information as he had obtained uh, while uh, working for a special inspection team under the Moon Jae-in administration. Kim then was granted a special presidential pardon as part of a a political tradition for uh, Liberation Day in August. Uh, Both rival factions had sent in their political heavyweights to join the stumping for the uh, primetime war chief election, which was thrust into the national spotlight ahead of the general elections next year. Yes, indeed, as Jin recaptured the highly contested uh, district of a half a million registered voters, the opposition said South Koreans rendered the verdict on uh, President Yun. Uh, Jin called his win a victory of common sense and principles. The ruling party, on the other hand, admitted defeat and vowed to hold an emergency uh, Supreme Council meeting on Friday to discuss the defeat that was predicted by many, but never by such a margin. The buzz among ruling party members was an imminent shake-up among its leaders. The ranking presidential office said that the government uh, believes any election outcome must be solemnly accepted. We'll have a further analysis of the results for our in-depth today later in the show. But yes, it was a chastening loss for the PPP. Meanwhile, sticking with politics, the embattled Minister of Gender Equality and Family nominee, Kim Heng, has caved to the opposition's censure, announced that she'll voluntarily withdraw from consideration. So what's the latest here? Well, in fact, the outcome of the by-election may have added pressure on the ministerial nominee as Thursday's uh, decision comes after the main opposition Democratic Party demanded her uh, withdrawal following suspicions over stock parking and illegal practice of selling shares to another party with the understanding that the original owner will buy them back after a short period of time. Kim's announcement also follows a closed-door meeting of the People Power Party earlier the day in which the decision was made. This marks the fifth time a cabinet nomination has failed since the start of the unit administration last May. Right, and the process to nominate a candidate starts all over again. Mm-hmm. Let's shift gears now and turn to the latest in the Israel-Hamas conflict, a massive build-up of Israeli troops in regions along the borders with Gaza as well as Lebanon to the north has generated speculation that the Hamas-instigated conflict will soon escalate. Can you tell us more? Yes, foreign media outlets have reported that the Israeli army is concentrating more than 300,000 troops as well as tanks not only around the Gaza Strip but in the north of the country near the border with Lebanon. And despite the Palestinian militant group's threat to kill one hostage for every unannounced airstrike on residential areas, 
The bombings are intensifying with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu saying that the country's military is on the attack and will continue to push against Hamas. Uh, Meanwhile, Hamas-run media released a video appearing uh, to show the release of a female hostage and two children, which Israel dismissed as theatrics. The death toll as of Thursday has has reported uh, reportedly exceeded 2,300 for both Israelis and Palestinians. Meanwhile, understand that the South Korean Foreign Ministry has ascertained the safety of remaining Koreans in Israel. Yes, the ministry said on Thursday that it estimates there are currently some 720 South Koreans in Israel and that they are indeed safe. Some 180 of those who were there on a short-term visit will be returning home soon. In related news, U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is in Seoul and he led a bipartisan congressional delegation in a meeting with President Yoon sung yeol on Wednesday where he said the South Korean leader affirmed Seoul's commitment to Israel's security. Can you tell us more? Well, in a statement on Thursday, the ranking Democrat said he had urged Yoon to continue to stand with the Israeli people and do all he can to join the U.S. by supporting Israel's effort to defend itself. The Senate leader said after he described the gruesome details of the atrocities committed by Hamas terrorists against innocent civilians, the president expressed the affirmation. Schumer said the two sides also discussed ways to strengthen the bilateral relationship with the delegation reaffirming strong partisan support for mutual defence measures against North Korea. South Korea's presidential office earlier announced that Yun and the US delegation condemned the indiscriminate attack on Israel by the Palestinian militant group Hamas and agreed that the allies must play a constructive role in easing tensions and to achieve stability in the region. Let's turn to national security closer to home. The US Navy's A nuclear-powered USS Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier arrived at the port city of Busan on Thursday in a show of force against North Korea. The visit is also part of America's commitment to further enhancing the quote-unquote regular visibility of strategic assets on the Korean Peninsula. What more can you tell us? Well, the ship docked at the naval base in Busan with Carrier Strike Group 5, which includes the aircraft carrier, the Aegis-equipped USS Shoop Destroyer and other warships. The Ronald Reagan will stay in South Korea for five days and comes after the strike group took part in a trilateral exercise with South Korean and Japanese warships in international waters off the southern island of Jeju earlier this week. The carrier last uh, uh, visited the country in September 2020 and is the second U.S. aircraft carrier to visit South Korea this year following the USS Nimitz in March. In other news, prosecutors indicted the main opposition Democratic Party leader Lee Jae-myung without pre-trial detention for corruption in the Baekhyun-dong development project. Can you tell us more? Well, the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office on Thursday charged E and former aide Chong Jin-sang with breach of trust under the Act on the Aggravated Punishment of Specific Economic Crimes. E is accused of colluding with Chong for four years from April 2014 while serving as Songnam City Mayor to exclude the city developer from apartment construction project as a favour to lobbyist Kim in who is suspected of helping the DP chief during his 
mayoral com- campaign, granting exclusivity in the project to a company run by a private investor identified by the surname Chung and providing favor- various favors allegedly helped the firm reap profits of 136 billion won or around 101 million US dollars, of which Kim is believed to have pocketed 7.7 billion won. The Songnam Development Corporation, on the other hand, purportedly suffered losses of 20 billion won. That wraps up our news briefing for today. Hijin, thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. The main opposition Democratic Party are celebrating a landslide victory in the by-election for Chief of Seoul's Gangsa district. Ordinarily, an election for a district chief would be seen as a relatively minor political event, but with the general elections looming in just six months' time, this election took on added significance, seen as a barometer of where the main parties stand. To analyse the result and its political implications, we have joining us on the line now our go-to political commentators. First, we have Law Professor Chu Hee-kyung from Hong Kong University. Professor Chu, hello. Hello. And we also have standing by affiliate Professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies. Professor Kim, hello to you too. Hello. Professor Chaw, can you first help our listeners with the context for this election? Can you remind us of the district and what initially made the vacancy for the by-election to take place? The district where the by-election was held uh, is the the west of the river district, which was traditionally a stronghold for the Democratic Party. So when Kim Tae-hoo, the former district chief, won uh, in a local election last year, that was a surprise victory. Uh, for the Conservatives. But uh, the uh, former district chief, Mr. Kim, was found guilty of breaching uh, official secrets law. So he essentially uh, leaked confidential information that he learned uh, in his job as a special auditor working in the Moon Administration Civil Secretariat within the Blue House between 2018 and 2019. And he was sentenced to one year imprisonment, which was suspended for two years. And he actually appealed uh, the case all the way up to the Supreme Court, but the the uh, Supreme Court confirmed the, the judgment in May of this year. And so he was stripped of his uh, public office. He was also found guilty of breaching Personal Information Protection Act and was fined two million one, and that would have been enough to make him lose his job as well. So uh, because he was convicted, he lost his job, but then he got a special pardon from President Yoon uh, back in August, and the Conservative Party put him up again as the Conservative candidate for the by-election in the same district, uh, where he used to be the district chief, and hence the result. Right, so Kim ran again after being 
uh, pardoned by the president. But the by-election in the end was won by the main opposition Democratic Party candidate, uh, Jin Gyo-hun. Professor Kim, can you tell us about the district chief-elect now? Yeah, the district chief-elect uh, has built his career in the police and looks like the year he entered the Korea National Police University, which was 1985. Uh, considering that timing of it, looks like he's one of the real hardcore, uh, like core elites of the, the police. Uh, poli- the Korea National Police University was set up uh, early 1980s, and, and uh, I think his year was the fifth one uh, since the establishment of the uh, institution. And since then, it is well known that it has produced uh, you know, police elites, uh, and they have been occupying, and some people have uh, complained that they have been mo- monopolizing, dominating all important places and, and so on in, in terms of the, the career ladder there. But he looks like the Jin is one of those elites uh, and moving up fast. Actually, uh, looks like what happened was during the previous administration, Moon Jae-in administration, he... Uh, took over one of the most important uh, the director general positions within the police headquarter, uh, director general for information and intelligence, and it's uh, considered to be one of the most important positions and powerful positions. So he was active uh, police elite during the uh, Moon administration. And uh, later part of Moon government, he was in charge of the entire provincial uh, police of Jeonbuk province, and I guess Jeonbuk province is where he, he was born and raised, indeed. And so that was another very important position. And then what happened was when uh, Yoon Sung Yeol government came in, um, he was put in charge of the uh, moving, uh, transfer of relocation of presidential office on the police side, uh, taking care of the, the security and the safety matters and so on. He was put a, as the head of this, uh, you know, uh, committee within police that's in charge of this uh, relocation of uh, presidential office. So that was also another very important job that he carried out. So uh, during that time, a lot of there were a lot of speculation about him possibly being appointed of appointed as the new head of police, and that speculation didn't get materialized. Did not get materialized and he retired from the police uh, last year. Hmm. And then uh, this year in August, he joined uh, the opposition party, Democratic Party. And then uh, I guess he joined the party in August, and then he was nominated as the candidate for this election in September. So um, moving very fast and very well-known police uh, elite mm, and also right. the district wise the district he ran for was the district that he has lived for the last uh, more uh, close to 20 years so that's again uh, added a big strength for his candidacy and so on that much i know so chin he has his career uh, in the police but he is a political novice but uh, he still won overwhelmingly uh, he won 56.52% of the vote, defeating his nearest rival, the ruling People Power Party candidate Kim Tae-woo, uh, Kim, who we talked about earlier, the former district chief. And uh, Chin beat Kim by 17.15 percentage points. Professor Chul, 
What do you think led to this landslide result? I think the Conservatives were hoisted by their own petard. Uh, you know, generally speaking, the both parties have uh, professed a principle that if there is to be a by-election uh, that's going to be held through the fault of uh, the the incumbent. So in this case, the Conservative held the office and it was Kim, Kim Tae-woo's, the former district chief's uh, conviction that made him lose the, the office. And so in principle, the Conservative Party should not have run a candidate in this by-election. But notwithstanding that, they put up a candidate and not just any old candidate. They especially chose the very person who was the cause of this by-election to be held. And to get there, the president had to give him a special pardon. And when you remember the fact that uh, Mr. Kim was actually prosecuted under uh Yun Song Yeol, when he was still the prosecutor general back in uh, 2021-22, he was already being tried for leaking of official secrets and confidential information to the media. It it, it sort of really boggles the mind as to the process and the the twists that they had to perform to uh, get to this result. So I believe that the Conservative Party leadership didn't actually want to put up a candidate and certainly not a candidate like Kim Tae-woo. But in the end, they did put him up. And judging from uh, the kind of performance that Mr. Kim actually put up during the campaign, you know, he put his foot in the mouth saying, uh, the cost of this by-election was some four billion won, and he was essentially asking the um, the district residents, "Oh, just look upon it as uh, something cute, and we will I will repay this multiple times if I get re-elected." But you know, it just I think uh, made it seem as if he wasn't really taking this seriously, mm. and he wasn't really acknowledging. Uh, his part in causing this, you know, uh, massive cost uh, to be borne by the taxpayers. Um, so, I think given the sort of anti-conservative sentiment that was running in the general pop- populace, the kind of result that, that that was achieved by the Conservative Party was a real kind of last-minute uh, push effort. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was. Um, a good effort on that part, but uh, the um, it, it, it was something of their own making, I would say. Right. So you're saying it was the choice of Kim Tae as uh, their candidate is what led to this loss by the PPP. You're saying that was one of the main reasons. Right, Professor Kim. What did you make of the result? I guess my observation would, would be just a mirror image of the point made about Kim Tae-ho's uh, nomination because the opposite side, his competitor, uh, Jin Gyo-hun, the district chief-elect, uh, one could say, in my own view, that Democratic Party has may have had 
several different choices uh, because of the nature of the election itself, where uh, the people power party, the ruling party, had a lot of disadvantages and and uh, the overall situation, considering the old overall situation. Um, my own view is that uh, even if uh, other candidates uh, may have been nominated, they might have uh, won this election um, as well. But uh, there is no question that Jin Gyeon himself is a very well-known uh, elite among the police. And uh, when he was nominated by the party leadership, I heard there were a few of uh, internal discussions and disagreements within the Democratic Party, especially from the city council members uh, who might have wanted to try their own bid, perhaps. Mm. Uh, but uh, when Kim Tae-woo was nominated on the other side, uh, you know, People Power Party, uh, I heard that there was a consensus emerging that the Democratic Party has to fight and uh, win this election for sure. Uh, and the stake was raised, and then uh, party members came under the leadership of the party and leadership's decision to nominate Jin Gyo-hun. And so they got the full support. Uh, him being the uh, professional police, uh, pro- police professional and uh, police elite him, itself, may look like he just uh, fits well with the Democratic Party because it is a well-known fact in Korean politics that People Power Party is closer with uh, public prosecutors, and then Democratic Party is closer to mm. the police. So uh, in the hindsight, it looks like, well, that kind of makes sense in terms of his nomination. But once again, you know, I think uh, who the question of who was nominated mattered more on the ruling party side, People Power Party, than the Democratic Party side. Right. So while Jin may, may have been the appropriate choice, uh, other candidates you feel would have won this race as well because of perhaps uh, the PPP's position and their choice in candidate in the end. Let's look then at the wider political implications as well. As I mentioned, this election was seen as a key litmus test signalling where the public sentiment stands between the ruling and opposition parties ahead of the general elections next year, especially for voters here in Seoul. Professor Kim, what do you think this election, this by-election tells us, especially with next year's uh, general elections in mind? Actually, to be very honest and frank about this, I would have to say not much. Because I'm saying it because considering the nature of the district itself, we do understand that this uh, district is, uh, itself is heavily pro-democratic uh, party. Um, all of the lawmakers elected from the district are, in my understanding, uh, from democratic party. And they have had a record of democratic party winning most of the seats, including the district chief as well. So therefore, treating this as a litmus test for next uh, year's next uh, year April general election would be something that seems to be going too far. And of course, if Kim Tae-woo and the uh, People Power Party had won, it might have been sensational. It could be something big in terms of political blow against the Democratic Party. But at the same time, the defeat of People Power Party itself may not be as detrimental, may not be as damaging to President's Party itself, the way I see it. 
Professor Chu, what about you? Do you think uh, this saying that this election was a litmus test for next year's general elections that goes too far? Uh, and what do you think this result does tell us about where the parties stand at the moment? I think the result of this by-election is certainly a weather vane, maybe not a litmus test, uh, because six months is a long time in politics and things could change dramatically between now and the general election. But certainly I think there is a stronger, very much stronger sentiment on the part of the public to judge the president's performance and the ruling party uh, rather than and, and essentially punish the incumbent rather than uh, supporting the, the the ruling party, particularly following on from the recent appointments of the the, the two ministers and the, the uh, national assembly hearing of the candidate for the the ministry of uh, women and family or gender equality uh, and the disastrous performance by uh, Kim Heng, the candidate, and the response by the presidential office to that, I think pe- the people feel that the president is not really paying attention to what the people are trying to tell him, that he's not really focused on what are the key priority issues for the people and he and the ruling party are not really uh, doing what they had promised in during their uh, election campaign and all the reforms that they had promised to carry out. And so the, this by-election, which is the, uh, the last election that we are going to have before mm. next year's general election, uh, certainly gives us a, a clear idea of how the public sentiment is right now. But if the ruling party takes lessons and the presidential office also and makes changes and reform their ways, then there is a chance that they might improve their performance. At the same time, if the Democratic Party that becomes arrogant uh, and rests on their laurels and starts thinking, oh, uh, they're going to vote for us, uh, and so we, we can relax, then they are also very much mistaken because I think the fact that they won by such a huge margin is not because the people in general support the Democratic Party that strongly. It's really because they disapprove of the ruling party. And I think if there were a, a real viable third party and not just these very small minor parties, then I think particularly the swinging voters may flock to that third party. Right, and we should also point out the reason next year's presidential next year's general elections are so important is that the National Assembly is currently led by uh, the DP with a large majority, and for the president to carry out any sort of significant agenda, he needs the ruling PPP to win back the National Assembly. Uh, but these results in the by-election will have been concerning for the PPP. We'll wrap it up there, uh, Professor Chua, Professor Kim. Thank you as always for your analysis and for your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 29.74 points, or 1.21% on Wednesday, to close at 2,479.82. The Technovy Kosdaq also jumped, climbing 18.37 points, or 2.25%, to close at 835.49. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 0.21 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,338.51. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio, news editor Daniel Chair. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Daniel. Okay, what do you have for us first today? We see more motorcycles out and about these days, right, with a massive growth of the delivery service sector. Mm. Many riders actually failed to pay fines mostly for illegal parking, apparently. Okay, so this is an issue about uh, fines and illegal parking of motorcycles. Can you tell us more? Uh, just how serious is the situation? A report that came out on Thursday showed last year alone some 73,000 reported cases of illegal parking. Only 8% of the motorcyclists paid their fines. Back in 2018, this is before the pandemic, before the explosion of the delivery services and the, the related industries, the number of such cases stood at only around 2,400. So that's a nearly 30-fold spike there. Wow. The tedious part about imposing fines on motorcyclists is that police can only give them a ticket if the ride is present. In some cases, they need to be seated and to be revving their engines on. Otherwise, they could just say, this is not my bike, and the police can't mm. do much about it. Quite a contrast to cars where this is not necessary. Also, the rider must visit a police station to pay the fine, but many choose to simply avoid showing up altogether. Right, so just to rephrase a little bit, the 73,000 reported cases are cases uh, reported, I believe, mostly by the public. But to actually fine the motorcyclist, it needs to be done in person by the police. It cannot be just stuck onto the motorcycle. It cannot be sent via post or anything like that. So because of that, only 8% of reported cases end up leading to a fine. So clearly, the system is lacking, actually cracking down on this issue. And it's more than just about collecting the fines. It's about making use of the space, right? Yes. As you mentioned, the, the problem is it's growing exponentially as we speak in mm. terms of motorcycles, especially for delivery services. Uh, so if you look at residential areas, there are frequent delivery services as well as parts that are lined with restaurants. It can get chaotic very quickly. Right. Riders must battle for parking space, Customers and residents struggle to squeeze past tightly parked bikes, sometimes getting into uh, little incidents, cuts and bruises along the way. Mm. Police and relevant authorities are under pressure to find ways to impose stricter penalties for illegal parking, as well as to increase legal parking space for the ever-expanding number of delivery workers on motorcycles. Right, so authorities need to crack down. Uh, they need to tackle both sides, essentially, to crack down on illegal parking, but also provide a way for motorcyclists to be able to park legally and safely as well. So it's quite a difficult task, actually, but something clearly uh, needs to be done. Let's uh, continue on to our second story now. What do you have for us? An announcement was made by Seoul Metro on Thursday regarding escalators in South Subway stations. In the near future, stations on lines 1 through 8 will have mechanisms installed to prevent escalators from reversing their direction suddenly. Right, so this move comes after an incident uh, where an escalator ran in reverse at a subway station in Pundang back in June, right? 
Yes, exactly. On June 8th, the upwards escalator leading to exit 2 of Sune Station reversed suddenly and went backward for several seconds, leading to 14 people getting injured. Seoul Metro acknowledged the fact that subway escalators are operated for around 19 hours daily and that there are aging parts. Officials highlighted that focus maintenance is necessary, including swapping the set parts. Of the 1,833 escalators, around 60% already have anti-reverse devices installed. The rest will have them installed by the first half of next year. 73 of them are incompatible with the anti-reverse device, so they will be replaced with new ones entirely. So that will cost more than 40 billion won, or roughly 30 million U.S. dollars, and it will be completed by next year. So it seems Seoul Metro is clearly sparing no efforts to ensure commuter safety. And I understand that this goes beyond just fixing the escalators themselves. Yes, you hear announcements like, please watch your step as you get off the train in some countries, mind the gap. And Seoul Metro is working to narrow that gap and perhaps someday eliminate the need to make that announcement. In 72 stations where the said gap is wider than 130 millimeters, there are plans to install around 585 safety platforms by the year 2025. The Transportation Corporation CEO Pekko said the company is able to carry out these measures thanks to improved finances coming mainly from recently raised subway fees. Yes, Seoul Metro has been running at a notoriously high deficit for many years, which led to the fare increase. But it looks like that money is being put to good use and not just to pay off their debts. OK, let's turn to our last story now. What else has been trending today? Well, people around the country woke up to some shocking news from the golf world this morning. The PGA Tour announced on Wednesday, local time in the U.S., the South Korean golfer, An Byung-hun was slapped with a three-month suspension for violation of the organization's anti-doping policy. Okay, so what kind of violation are we talking about? Can you give us more details? An reportedly tested positive for a substance prohibited by the World Anti-Doping Agency, and this substance can be found in a cough medicine that is readily available over-the-counter in Korea. Mm. In a statement via social media, the golfer said he was suffering from a cold and a cough in August, and his mother suggested taking medication that had helped her through a similar ailment. An's mother, Jan Zemin, is a decorated Olympian who won multiple medals in table tennis for China. So it is understandable that An would take her advice without question. Mm-hmm. Uh, banned substances can be found in over-the-counter medications and supplements, and athletes, in many cases, accidentally take them without realizing they are banned. Right, so this does look like a case where it's just a genuine mistake rather than anything uh, malicious or deliberate. Still, banned substances are banned substances. So now the suspension has been announced. What's next for Anne? Well, Anne is, as his ban is retroactive to August 31st, he is eligible to return to competition on December 1st, 2023. The PGA Tour said on its website that Anne has cooperated fully throughout the process and accepted his suspension. The South Korean golfer blamed himself for not checking the medicine's content properly. He wanted to clarify his situation by stating he, it was the only time he used the medication and that he did not take it to gain any unfair competitive edge. Mm. The 32-year represented South Korea at the 2016 Olympics. In August 2009, at age 17, Ahn became the youngest competitor to win the U.S. Amateur Championships. And in 2015, he grabbed his maiden European troll win and was named Rookie of the Year in Europe. He is currently ranked world number 53. All right, so the punishment is not too severe. Hopefully, he has learned his lesson. That's where we wrap it up for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me.
We continue on now to explore Korea, our weekly segment where we learn about some of the cultural, historical, and travel highlights to uncover here on the peninsula. And joining us for that, it is our travel explorer this week, Hannah Roberts. She's here with us in the studio. Hannah, hello. It's uh, great to see you again. It's always good to see you too. Okay, so what do you have in store for us this week? This week, I'm going to be introducing the 2023 Hanbok Culture Week, as well as uh, giving a little bit of a background about what Hanbok is for people who might not know. Right, so Hanbok Culture Week sounds great. Actually, maybe we should start with uh, that last point there. Can you tell us more about what Hanbok is first? Sure. Uh, Yeah, the name Hanbok, uh, well, Hanbok is the traditional dress of Korea, the traditional clothing of Korea. Mm. Uh, The name Hanbok literally translates to Korean or Han clothing, bok. So mm. Korean clothing. Right. Um, and it's used to refer to both the traditionally male and female versions of the outfit. Uh, both types, both male and female, include as the basics a togori, which is a jacket or that shirt, and, uh, and, and a, the bottoms, which is for women a f- bell-like floor-length skirt. Uh, skirt is chima. And uh, a pair of wide-legged pants or in Korean, paji, that taper at the ankles for men. The mm. Kind of like balloon pants. <laughs> <laughs> right. The male hanbok has remained largely unchanged throughout history. However, the female, specifically the togori, has changed vastly across the eras. Mm. At some points, stretching all the way down to the waist, just like the men's togori is now. And, uh, and at other times, uh, particularly in the Joseon uh, dynasty era, uh, it shrunk all the way up towards the collarbones and it completely exposed uh, the breasts, which was a practice done to show others that they had borne a healthy son. Mm. Uh, However, the modern female joggery that we see nowadays stops just above the waist, right where the skirt starts. Uh, We can see hanbok in historical dramas and movies uh, with mostly accurate representations, actually. Uh, They can look very different depending on the person's class and the location and time period they were living in. But they are all Hanbok and they are all Korean. Yes, I'm sure many of our listeners will be very familiar with the traditional attire, having seen it on TV and films and whatnot, uh, as you said. But perhaps uh, not broken down like you have just (laughs) explained it. So thank you for that rundown. No problem. Now, with that in mind, let's talk about Hanbok Culture Week then first. Uh, when is it happening? So it's being held this year from October 16th to October 22nd, and it's being hosted by the Ministry of Culture, Sports and Tourism, along with the Career Craft and Design Foundation. It's being hosted mainly in Seoul, uh, with events going on such as fashion shows, markets, art exhibitions and craft workshops. The The whole aim of the event is to promote the rich uh, culture and history of Hamburg and modern hanbok as well, uh, as well as to encourage people to wear man- uh, hanbok in their daily lives. Right, so it's taking place next week, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine, I guess, whole fashion week, but for hanbok, yeah. essentially, at least something like that. Uh, can you give us some more details about some of the events that we can expect this year? Yes, of course. So throughout the week, the Seoul National, uh, sorry, the Seoul Museum of Craft Art will be hosting a hanbok market and information centre. The National Folk Museum will be showing an exhibition of Hamburg for people to see real historical pieces and holding uh, crafting workshops and Hamburg experiences in their outdoor uh, retro village. It's called the 7080 village because it's uh, based around what, 
the villages looked like in the 70s and 80s. Oh, right, okay. Uh, But yeah, they're retro village. Uh, In the village, visitors will be able to try wearing both traditional and uh, retro-style hanbok and also snap a photo to remember the moment, uh, as well as taking part in traditional games, um, a quiz about hanbok to win a prize, and uh, tea ceremony experiences. For those people who enjoy crafting, there will be a decorative knot and flower-making workshop, and people with hair long enough <laughs> can experience having their hair braided in a style <laughs> traditionally worn while in Hamburg. Uh, and then not far away from the museums, at Chongjin Park, Naminsa Square and Jongmyo Citizen Square, uh, they're all in the same district of Seoul. There will be a postcard drawing and keychain making experience, as well as an art exhibition. And perhaps most excitingly, there will be busking performances of traditional music and dance with performances, performers showcasing Hanbok while they're on stage. Wow. So there really will be a lot of activities and events mm. for people to actually get involved yes. in themselves and not just watch. That's uh, right. But watching will, of course, uh, be also part of the fun. You mentioned a fashion show. That sounds exciting. Yeah, the Seoul Museum of Craft Art at 5pm on Friday, October 20th, will be putting on a fashion show to display the beauty of the traditional clothing, but also to showcase current handbook designers that are putting their own creative spins on the national dress. Mm. Uh, There will also be a commemorative performance for the year's event, as well as a ceremony in which people who have contributed greatly to the Hamburg scene, uh, maybe in uh, reputation, representation or in creation even, will be awarded for their efforts. Wow, that sounds like it'll be quite special as well. Mm. Okay, so clearly there's a lot going on and Mm -hmm. plenty for everyone to enjoy, but uh, one not to miss in particular for fashion lovers, I would say. Mm -hmm. So to make sure that they don't miss it, can you let us know how to get to some of the places where uh, events are being held? Yes, so the two main locations are in central Seoul and not far from each other, actually. They're very close to each other. The Seoul Museum of Craft Art is located at the north end of the very popular Insadong Street. Uh, to get there, you can take Subway Line 3, which is the orange line, to Anguk Station, and then take Exit 6, uh, walking west for a few minutes, and then the museum's on your right-hand side. Mm. Our other spot, the National Folk Museum, is situated on the east side of Gyeongbokgung Palace and can actually be directly accessed from the palace if you decide to visit the uh, if you decide to go inside the palace first mm. um, but to get there you can take subway line 5 which is the purple line uh, and go to Gyeongbokgung station taking exit 5 for direct entry to the palace grounds and then crossing through the palace to reach the museum on the other side alternatively and this is a good one for anyone who might just be here as a, as a tourist uh, city tour bus number 1 stops directly outside both the Crafts Museum and in front of the palace on uh, Kwangamun Square. Mm. And so that could be handy for anyone who's, uh, yeah, who's visiting and just decided to take a city tour bus. Indeed. OK, so great. Uh, now, finally, I'm sure there are people listening who would love to come for this event, who are interested in Hamburg, but mm. won't unfortunately be here during the Hamburg Culture Week. So for them, uh, what do you suggest to do while they're in Korea at any other time in the year? There are lots of ways to learn about Hamburg and even experience it outside of the uh, upcoming Culture Week, no matter your time limits or your budget or where you are in the country. Mm. Uh, even though Hamburg Culture Week isn't always running, the two main museums that I've mentioned that are taking part in the event are already fantastic places to visit and learn more about what people used to wear in the past in Korea. Right. And they might even have pieces available for you to buy, whether they're 
actual hanbok or whether they're accessories and that you can wear for yourself when you go home. Mm. Uh, around the palaces, there are lots of hanbok rental stores for people of all sizes and all size budgets. <laughs> and while some of them might not be the most authentic designs, uh, they can be fun to wear. Um, and it's especially fun to wear them and, and visit a palace and uh, take some photos inside. Right. And you can get some discounts as well, right? Yeah, it's actually free to enter a palace if you are wearing hanbok. Mm, right. Mm. That's a good note. There are also hanbok rental stores across the country, not only in Seoul, and some even have different styles of the traditional outfits. So the style we see most often here in Seoul and also down in uh, Jeonju, which is a popular place to visit on a day trip from Seoul, uh, that's the style that was worn during the Joseon dynasty. But if you visit Gyeongju down south near Busan, uh, you can rent a different type of hanbok that was worn during the Shilla dynasty, which is even older than the Chosan dynasty. Mm. Uh, if you're looking for something more permanent, maybe, and are interested in buying your own hanbok, I would suggest stopping by Gwangjang Market and visiting its famous street of uh, silkware vendors. There are some cheap versions of hanbok on sale there, but you can also, uh, if you want to take something home that's really special, you can get one made to measure for you mm. and in a colorway of your choice. Uh, while it can be a little bit expensive uh, and take a little while to be made, it's worth it to have uh, such a beautiful traditional outfit as a keepsake for your time in Korea. Indeed. These all sound like some great tips and recommendations. <laughs> We really appreciate that. OK, a y that's all for Explore Korea this week. Hannah, thank you for all that once again. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. See you soon. Way down among Brazilians, coffee beans grow by the billions. So they've got to find those extra cups to fill. They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. You can't get cherry soda. I'm Barista Omburam and the winner of the 2023 World Barista Championship. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. No tea. Juice. We've come now to Morning Edition Preview, our closing segment, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, we have joining us in the studio now our staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It is great to see you again. Great to see you too. Okay, so what's the first article that you brought for us today? Well, right now around the world, there are 70 Korean galleries displaying art and important Korean relics. They can be found in 25 countries. This includes museums like the Smithsonian's National Museum of Asian Art, the National Museum of Denmark, and other institutions in the UK, Japan, and more. Well, apparently, the National Museum of Korea has decided to help support six of the institutions that are displaying these pieces. That is what Kim Hae-yeon's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald is about. Wow. So Korean relics all over the world, really. Yes. Uh, so then how, does the museums, uh, how do they plan to support these uh, overseas institutions? Well, that hasn't been finalised yet, but the idea is to provide enough support so that they can put on career-related events, renovate the galleries, hire specialist personnel to manage the galleries, you know, things like that. Mm. Uh, these changes are not likely going to be seen soon. The support will not start until next year, and the institutions have, to have up to five years to implement them. But the support will likely help promote Korean art and culture. Yes, it sounds like a good chance to give what... could be a much-needed revamp of mm. some of these galleries. It right. could also give the museums the opportunity they need to uh, attract more visitors and to 
to make the exhibitions more interesting as well, more up to date. Sure, the the technology that is often used in museums changes so quickly. I've seen exhibitions become more interactive, and that means more money and support is needed constantly. Mm. So hopefully, it will stop them from you know, falling behind other institutions. But yeah, with these additions, the National Museum of Korea will be offering its support to over twenty galleries in nine countries. So it is working hard to improve Korea's image overseas. Indeed, and also to help people uh, learn more about Korea's uh, past yes. as well. Okay, let's move on to our next article. What else uh, did you find in tomorrow's newspapers? It's Eguri's article in the Hallyu section of the Korea Times. We are just under a month away from the release of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's latest movie, The Marvels. <laughs> and this article explains that they will be released in Korea on November 8th. We also got the chance to see the main poster and the final trailer. Okay, so it's about a month away. This is the 33rd <laughs> yes. movie from the MCU. I have seen them all. <laughs> I'm <laughs> a big fan. Wow, that is impressive. Uh, that doesn't include all the numerous TV series right. that have been released as well. Sure. Have you seen all them as well? I haven't, actually. Okay, okay. So you're not a real <laughs> fan then. And, uh, but uh, it has become its own entity uh, in the film industry. It, it doesn't has, look yeah. like it'll stop anytime soon. This particular film, though, has created more of a buzz than other recent Marvel films in Korea, right? It has. That's because actor Park Seo-joon is making his Hollywood debut with this film. Mm. It was quite a pleasant surprise for Koreans and for people who enjoy Korean content when it was announced that he would star in the Marvels. Like, many people were wondering what kind of role he will play. Mm. But yeah, this makes him only the third Korean to feature in the MCU, the other two being Claudia Kim and Ma Dong-suk, also known as Don Lee. Claudia Kim had a smaller role in the Avengers Age of Ultron film, while Ma Dong-suk had a huge role in The Eternals. He was one of the main characters. Yes, huge role, you know, literally and <laughs> for a huge guy. Yes. <laughs> and it looks like Park will be in the middle of them as he will have a big supporting role. He will play the husband and ally of one of the main characters, Captain Marvel. Yes, he hasn't featured heavily in the trailers, so right. people are very curious about his role. Uh, for those who are getting tired of the epic three-hour films Marvel has released in the past, though, they don't need to worry this time, right? They don't. It will be one hour and 45 minutes long, making it the shortest movie of the franchise. <laughs> Which sounds surreal, because I'm sure many movies in the past used to have like a similar length. That was a normal length, I yes. feel like. The Toy Story was one hour and 21 minutes long. I looked it up online. Exactly, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I read online also that 20 minutes of the original draft of the Marvels was cut. I believe it's from the footage from the planet where Park So Joon's character is from so we mm. might see a little bit less of him but not sure why but it will be interesting to see if fans will like it or not interest has kind of fallen off since avengers endgame it is a bit of a difficult period for the franchise but the story of the marvels does sound interesting every time captain marvel uses her powers she finds herself switching places with miss marvel and monica rambeau and like the three superheroes uh, have to deal with that issue while also trying to save the universe as always. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll leave it there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we leave it for our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.